Welcome back to the Missing Midwest podcast. My name is Liz, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I was born, raised, and still live in the Midwest. My goal for this podcast is to highlight some of the stories of the individuals that have gone missing. Some of the victims' names you may have heard of, while others may be new to your ears. As a heads up, the people that are discussed in this podcast are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. All of the sources in the episode referenced today can be found on my website, missingmidwest.com. The morning of July 6, 2001, Tracy woke up sometime between 5 and 6 a.m. in her Southside apartment at 3526 South Lake Park Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. It was early and Tracy had to get ready for work, just like she did most days. The timeline for the day gets complicated from the very start. We'll get into the complications later, but for the most part, the complications started because the girl's mother provided false information. The times provided throughout this episode are based on the research done, but is still up for debate. Around 6 or 6.30 a.m., Tracy kissed her 10-year-old and 3-year-old daughters goodbye, who were asleep on the couch and departed for her job, preparing lunches for a children's summer camp program at Robert Taylor Park in Chicago. Diamond's father, George Washington, who had stayed the night and had volunteered to drop Tracy off at work. The two girls were left at the apartment alone, with Tianda looking after her little sister Diamond. From our perspective 20 years later, it is easy to question why Tracy would leave her children at home. But for many single mothers, this is the reality they are left with. It appears this was not the first time Tianda was put in charge of watching her little sister as their sisters Victoria, who was 8 years old, and Rita, who was 12, had spent the night at their grandmother's home the night before, and has been reported they did this often. It has never been made clear why only the two girls had spent the night at their grandmother's, which has fueled speculation if family may have been involved with the disappearances. That morning, when Tianda and Diamond woke up, they were excited because the next day was Victoria's ninth birthday celebration. That morning was the last time Tracy would see her two daughters and is when the nightmare began and has lasted nearly 20 years. Tianda Z. Bradley was born January 20th, 1991 and was the second child to Tracy. She had a light complexion, a slim build, and wore her hair in long ponytails. She had a burn scar on her left forearm, about the size of a quarter. Tianda was last seen wearing green ponytail holders in her hair and had a scrape on her left calf. She was described as being shy with strangers, but loved to run track and dance. Her sister Rita said, quote, She was just the outspoken one of us all, even me. She knew right from wrong. Like, if I did something, she'd be like, no, we weren't supposed to do that. I'm going to tell mom. So she was very smart, real smart, end quote. 
Tianda was seven years old when Tracy gave birth to another daughter she named Diamond. Tianda cared greatly for her little sister Diamond. She would take care of her often. Tracy said that Tianda knew not to leave the house or open the door for anyone or anything. She was very protective of her little sister and would not put her in danger. Diamond Yvette Bradley was born November 23, 1997, and was the baby of the family and fourth child to Tracy, and who was affectionately known as Honeybun. Aunt Sheila said, quote, The girls were close. They wouldn't have left each other, ever. End quote. Diamond was described as energetic and fun. She had a medium complexion and wore her hair in braided ponytails. She was last seen wearing purple ponytail holders in her hair. She has a scar on her left side of her scalp, has deep set eyes, and is described as timid but loves to talk. Diamond would jump from couch to couch, Victoria Bradley said, and she had these dark eyes that used to scare everybody. In 2001, Tianda was in summer school at Doolittle Elementary School. According to the girls' Aunt Sheila Bradley-Smith, Tianda and Diamond had walked the six-minute walk to the school that day, where she attempted to sneak her little sister Diamond into the school. Reportedly, the principal stopped Tianda at the door and said, you cannot come into the school with her, referring to Diamond. Tianda then left the school with Diamond. It is unclear of their exact whereabouts, but the common theory is the girls returned home at this point. At some point that morning, between 7 and 8 a.m., according to the girl's mother, Tracy, she called home to check in on the girls as she had done every day. It does not appear the girls had answered the phone at that time. As we know, Tracy was dropped off at work by George Washington earlier that day, sometime between 6.30 and 7 a.m. After George Washington had dropped Tracy off at work, he reportedly went to his other girlfriend's house near 97th Street, and then he went to visit his mother, before going back to pick Tracy up when her shift ended around 11 a.m. When George Washington picked Tracy up, he also picked up her two co-workers and dropped them off at various locations before returning to Tracy's apartment with Tracy. When they entered the apartment, Tracy called out for her kids, but no one answered. Based on eyewitness reports, it is believed they returned to the apartment around 12.30 p.m. Again, this timeline is fuzzy. If she was picked up at 11 a.m. and they made two stops to drop people off, we would assume are probably along the way home. Where was that time spent? An hour and a half between when she was picked up and when they arrived back home. Tracy found a handwritten note on the back of the couch stating that they had left to go to the store and school and that they would be back. The school had a playground there and was often visited by the kids. However, the handwritten note was very uncharacteristic for Tianda, who would not normally leave the house alone and had not ever left a note before. Instead, Tianda would normally call her mom on her cell phone to get permission to leave the home. In addition, the girl's aunt Sheila Bradley-Smith said the sentence and grammar structure did not match that of something Tianda would have spoke or written. This leaves some to believe that the girls were forced to leave the note in their home against their will. 
However, there are eyewitness reports of the girls showing up to the school playground and seeing them go across the street to the store. Other children at the school playground told police they saw the two girls there. Around lunchtime, they say the two girls headed for the store right across the street. Somehow, in a matter of less than a block, in a space of just a few minutes, and in view of literally hundreds of apartments that face this street, the two girls vanished. Tracy did not immediately have major concerns for her daughters, assuming they were out playing somewhere around the apartment complex. When the girls did not return home after some time, Tracy contacted family members and went searching for hours around the neighborhood. George did not participate in the search for his daughter, instead opting to leave the apartment. Tracy had checked the local stores and playgrounds with no sign of her daughters. She was allegedly concerned to contact the police because she had left the children at home, believing that Child Protective Services may charge her for a crime. However, this was the first of what turned out to be many lies. Around 6 p.m., the police were called, which means the girls had not been seen for nearly six hours. And at that time, a canvas search of the area was done. Chicago police executed one of the most extensive searches in their history. They searched by both land, air, and water to locate the girls. A hotline for tips and a command post were set up. Unfortunately, in the area where they lived, happened to have many registered sex offenders and abandoned homes. Over 100 sex offenders were interviewed, and the abandoned buildings, sewers, and dumpsters were searched to no avail. Within just a few days, the FBI was called in to support the Chicago Police Department. Six days after the girls had disappeared, the Chicago police questioned George and searched his home and garage. During the initial days following the girls' disappearance, the mother was cooperative and was interviewed over four different days for a total of 22 hours. However, it appeared the tone had changed when the police were questioning some of the things that were not adding up, and Tracy was no longer cooperating with the police the following week. Police began to become suspicious of both Tracy and George, however, they have never been formally named as suspects in the girls' disappearance. Another unfortunate lie came at the initial reporting of the girls going missing. Tracy had told police she had fallen asleep, and when she had woken up, the girls had disappeared. This hindered the initial investigation, as the police believed someone had entered the apartment to take the girls. The series of lies from Tracy hampered the investigation from the start, and caused distrust between the police and herself. She later told them that she had been away from the apartment when they disappeared. She also explained that George Washington had been with her the night before and that afternoon when she returned home. The police, of course, thought it was strange behavior that he elected to leave instead of looking for his daughter. While Tracy was being interviewed by the police, she left her phone with family members. One family member was going through her phone and noticed she had an unheard voicemail from the day the girls disappeared. When the family member listened to the message, it was Tianda, 
on Tracy's phone. Aunt Sheila Bradley Smith says it was left between 8.30 or 9.30 a.m. the day the girls disappeared. In the message, Tianda says, quote, Mama, this is Tianda. Mom, pick up the phone. George is at the door. Can I open the door? He said that we are going to Jules to pick up the cake there. We're coming to pick you up from work. End quote. There's a lot to unpack from this message. First, Diamond's father's name is George Washington. However, one of Tracy's close friends, a man who was a neighbor at the time, is also named George, who is often referred to as George Sr. He occasionally babysat for the children, and they were very familiar with him. Initially, many thought that George mentioned in the voicemail had to have been George Washington, since there was mention of picking up a cake, presumably in celebration of the sister's birthday. While others believe it may have been the neighbor George, since Tianda felt the need to call for permission to open the door. Also, it makes even less sense that Tianda felt the need to call and then also leave a note saying they were leaving. To date, no one knows which George was at the door. As for the voicemail message, Bradley Smith says, She, along with about 10 other family members, heard the message. Then it mysteriously disappeared. What happened to it? We do not know if it was failed to be saved or if it was purposely deleted. When questioned about what she believed happened to the voicemail, Bradley Smith said only, quote, Me and God know that, end quote, declining to elaborate. Those not from the Chicago area may not realize that the jewel referred to in the message is presumably a store called Jewel Osco, which is a popular grocery brand in the area. Officers followed up on the lead of the girl's whereabouts stemming from the voicemail. They went to the store, the jewel, where the officers were able to get surveillance footage of two girls matching the sister's description from the day of their disappearance. They asked Tracy to review the footage to determine if it was indeed the girls. However, in what seemed very unusual, Tracy initially refused to come down to view the video. The police brought the tape to her home, where she still refused to review. Family members refused to open the door to allow for her to review it. This made police grow even more suspicious of her. The next day, Tracy did show up at the police to view the tape, but it was now in possession of the FBI. The following day, on Thursday, July 13th, Tracy was able to view the tape. When Tracy and other family members reviewed the tape, it was determined that the girls on the tape were not the missing sisters. During one of Tracy's interviews with the police, she said that when George and her arrived back at the apartment, They had made plans to take Tianda and Diamond camping that night to Lake Schaefer, Indiana, which is about a two-hour drive from their home. This camping trip is cause for a lot of confusion and speculation, as Tracy had never taken the kids camping before. In addition, she was only planning on taking Tianda and Diamond and not Rita and Victoria. Since the next day was Victoria's birthday, it was strange that they were planning an overnight trip away. 
quote, never in my life have I heard anything about camping from them, end quote. Bradley Smith said, very unusual. At one point, Tracy got into a physical dispute with an officer and was handcuffed and brought to the station to be interviewed. Tracy then hired a lawyer, Andre Grant, who was actually fighting his own wrongful conviction case against the city of Chicago. It is not clear if it was her lawyer's advice or her own personal choice, but Tracy had opted to not cooperate with the police and stopped all interviews. She never allowed her other two daughters to be interviewed, refused to provide a handwriting sample to compare Tianda's handwriting to the note found at the apartment. Police later obtained handwriting samples from the school, and it was determined that Tianda did in fact write the note. Police later asked Tracy to take a polygraph test, which she did and passed. One of the biggest pieces of evidence came in the form of hairs found in the trunk of George Washington's car. He drove a Lincoln, and while they recovered hairs from the trunk, tests done at the time showed the hairs may have belonged to either of the girls or their mother. There was also no way to determine when the hairs would have been deposited in the trunk. Officers also found a receipt in the vehicle from the Home Depot, which showed that he had purchased gloves, garbage bags, and bleach shortly before the girl's disappearance. Aunt Sheila Bradley Smith stated that it was, quote, very suspicious. I couldn't agree more. There is a lot of confusion in this case, but Diamond's father is one of the biggest pieces adding to this. A month before the girls vanished, Tracy had filed a paternity suit against the man she believed to be Diamond's father. This man is not George Washington. However, this man is described as a North African man, possibly from Morocco, and was paying child support prior to the girl's disappearance. The suit against him had caused some people to believe he may have been involved with their disappearance as revenge. However, the paternity suit was later dismissed. It was determined that this man was not Diamond's biological father. This man is not named because he is not Diamond's biological father, and there's nothing proving that this man did anything to either of the girls. However, the police did travel to Morocco, apparently in order to investigate him further. After years of both police and private investigators trying to locate and determine what happened, to these two beautiful sisters, we unfortunately are no closer to that goal. There are countless scenarios of what could have happened to these children. Many scenarios include Diamond's father as the main suspect. However, Tracy didn't feel that George had anything to do with the disappearance. Tracy and Washington ended up having another child together after the girl's disappearance. This case is riddled with lies, deception, and confusing timelines, which doesn't help determine their current whereabouts. It is not clear if they were taken from their apartment or off the street, if the person or people involved in their disappearance knew the girls, or if a total stranger happened to take advantage of the girls being alone. As of this recording, Tianda would be 30 years old and Diamond would be 23. 
In July of this year, it will be 20 years since the girls disappeared from the south side of Chicago, Illinois. To see age-progressed photos of the sisters, visit my social media pages by searching Missing Midwest Podcasts. A reward of up to $10,000 is being offered for information regarding the current whereabouts of Tiana and Diamond Bradley. If you have any information on either of the missing girls, please contact the Chicago Police Department at 312-745-6007 or your local FBI office. Stay tuned for our next brand new case of a missing person from the Midwest. Episodes drop on Wednesdays. If you guys like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It really helps me out. And if you want a specific case covered, please submit the request under case submission on missingmidwest.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay safe out there.